Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is week four of our coping series, and as we wrap it up, I'm just thinking of how I've had to cope with not being here in this way with you, because I'm leading worship almost every weekend now. Being able to do this is rare, and so it's fun to be here with you, to talk with you, and to reflect on the last three weeks of our series called Coping, and especially the idea of getting sucker-punched by life. That imagery really hits home for me, pun very much intended. No groans? Come on. I mean, it's something, something. Now, if I were to make a list of sucker punches in life, the things that have just come out of nowhere to knock me down, that continue to to cause trouble for me, it would include stuff like this in no particular order. Back in the old days, the sucker punches were like me punching myself with addiction and sin and poor choices. Um, I've dealt with chronic pain in my back and neck and shoulder for a long, long time, punctuated now and then by out-of-control pain. And it's never at a time when it's like, oh, if there's a convenient time to have out-of-control chronic pain, this would be it. I'll have it now. It's more like I've got to move somebody or I've got to like carry something heavy. I've got to, you know, be active. I've got to go on vacation. I got to go hiking or something that requires physical strength. How about just being too busy? When I get too busy, I get overwhelmed easily by all the stuff to do and buy and maintain. Where did all this stuff come from? We just had a thrift sale for two days and like, We should have felt like we purged a lot, and instead I feel like we barely made a dent. There's just so much stuff to be responsible for, and then all that stuff makes me just have this kind of low undercurrent of anger, this low level in the background that's always there, ready to just pounce, ready to pounce. Or people. I mean, people are one of the most difficult things to cope with sometimes, especially when they don't live up to what they should, or they don't love you the way they should, or they promise to be there for you only to betray you, hurt you. Money. Money's a sucker punch. I mean, it's fine. We have this kind of tenuous balance, me and money. But then the van decides it needs a $1,200 essential repair, like now. Or we can't take the kids to school, which really is the biggest tragedy, because then they'd be home with us all the time. (laughs) Speaking of which, raising kids. I mean, talk about getting sucker punched on the regular. Like, I, I thought I was a pretty with it dad. I guess I'm not. Like, it just shows me that there are things I simply do not understand. And it's about everything from teenage slang to relationships. Apparently, I'm just dumb about relationships now that I'm 40 plus to my kids anyway. And marriage. That's another one of those relationships that can feel like you just get sucker punched regularly. And not because marriage is bad, it's just difficult. Marriage, more than anything else, continues to show me how far I have to go, how difficult it is to consistently be the best version of myself. Or hard work that goes unappreciated feels like a sucker punch to me. Or people who think the wrong thing about me. You ever have that? Like, people, just a few out there who, like, they cannot get along with you, and it's not your fault, and you don't know where their perception of you came from, but it's, like, no controlling it, and it just feels like a sucker punch, a gut punch to find out about that stuff. And there's a ton more. 
mean, those are some of the bigger things that I struggle to cope with. But what about all the little daily stuff that feel like little sucker jabs? You know, things that break, sick dog, sick as a dog. I mean, every one of us has the potential to wake up on any given day and feel terrible. Just terrible. Like we got hit by a truck. Just terrible. Other drivers, that's one of those little sucker jabs on the regular. It's amazing to me how much rage can build up within me on my 15-minute drive to the south side of Eau Claire from church. You know, there's that really confusing stretch like River Prairie and people forget how to drive because Woodman's. But then they got to get back off. There's Claremont. There's 93. What do I do? They're so close together. So they just swerve and hit other drivers, and there's always backups there. What about other shoppers at Woodman's? (laughs) Especially, you know, sweet little old ladies with zero cart awareness. None. The thing's just like hit me in my bad hip. Chronic pain. Don't forget it. Sucker punches are everywhere, you guys. It is hard to cope with stuff in life. And it's especially hard to cope with stuff in life when you try to cope by yourself. Now, here's our definition of what it means to cope. This is something we put up on the screen all the weeks of our series. So here's a reminder. To cope is to deal effectively with something difficult. So it's good. To cope is good. There are good ways to cope. Or to face responsibilities, problems, or difficulties especially successfully or in a calm or adequate manner. Yeah, that's just not me. The word to cope comes to us through an old English word that's derived from Latin and means to receive or take a blow with the fist. Yeah, know what that feels like. Or to do well in a fight. So you can cope well. Pastor Paul was talking about there are good ways to cope and there are bad ways to cope. Choose some of the good ones and you'll find yourself doing a lot better in that fight that life can feel like a lot of the time. Now, I've taken a lot of shots in my life. The series has reminded me. I've just been thinking about all of the ways that I've needed to cope with things over the years that I've lived. And my tendency is to not cope in a healthy way. I don't do the good coping very well. What I do is I isolate. I try to cope in isolation, on my own. I get through it, you know, just like carry the burden of it, but say, I'm fine. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine is the biggest lie of people struggling to cope that there's ever been. And when I do that, I don't do well in a fight. I don't do well on my own out there. I don't bounce back or move through the things I'm struggling to cope with to the other side very effectively. Now, we had a promise that Pastor Paul shared uh, where Jesus says, Yes, you'll have trouble in life, but don't be afraid because I've overcome the world. And I believe that. That promise has proven itself to be true in my life over and over and over again. And yet, many times I've wanted that promise to mean that it's just for me in isolation. That if Jesus overcame for me, then that's all I need, that I can just pray for and muster up and then experience that overcoming power on my own, thanks to Jesus, and all by myself, if I can just lean into the promises a little extra, lean into hope and freedom and that overcoming power, well then suddenly, poof, like magic, I'm just going to one day wake up not feeling terrible and I'll find myself feeling amazing. 
and I'll have gained all the perspective I could ever need. Except it never works that way. It has never worked for me that way. When life's throwing punches, when grief hits hard, when disappointment and frustration are bobbing and weaving and looking for an opening to jab, when injustice, being treated unfairly, when trauma or abuse come in waves, and not just one at a time, like polite little waves who stand in a queue and wait for you to open the door and say, okay, I'm ready for the next one. They come all at the same time. When that happens, and you're alone, on your own, even if you pretend to be fine, and even if you think you're fine, and even if you have forced yourself and those around you to believe, no, it's not a struggle, it's still a struggle. Deep down, we know it, and we can't get away from it. It's so overwhelming. It's like a giant coping version of whack-a-mole the size of a football field. And we're the only one out there on the field. Imagine that. There is no way it's going to work. We need a whole team. We need allies. And the whole concept of team, of being together, working together for a common purpose, coping together, that is God's design. That's one of the best ways to cope. And it's so good. Now here's the promise of it, how it works when we cope together. The promise is simple. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. These are verses that we've talked about before. We're familiar with these. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So we hear these verses at weddings. We hear these verses when we are appreciating friendships and things like that. But have you ever thought about this passage and the general wisdom it gives for life when it comes to coping? On our own, the implication is we're less productive, we're less purposeful, we don't have the help we need. When life throws a sucker punch and we get knocked down, we find ourselves out in the cold without the warmth of the connection and comfort that we need. In a fight, if we're on our own, we're unprotected. We're not strong enough to keep that attack or the overwhelming circumstance, the struggle to cope with trauma, the pain we're experiencing. We're not strong enough on our own to keep that at arm's length, let alone fight it off. And then verse 12 ends by basically saying, And then why stop at two? Add more to the number. And here's the most spiritual way I can say it. Grow your coping posse. Make it bigger. Put more people in that coping posse. Weave the strength of trusted friends, of family, of relationship within the community of Jesus into your life to be part of how you cope with life. And then weave yourself, your strength, your perspective, what you have to offer into the lives of other people. That's what brings strength. That's where we find protection and comfort, help, purpose, as we cope. It's not about not having to cope or thinking we'll somehow arrive someday at a place where we never have to cope with anything. This all happens as we cope. 
we find strength in community. This promise of what happens, the strength we find to cope when we cope together, it can help give us a new perspective on coping itself, freeing us from that hopeless trap of trying to cope alone. Here's part of the new perspective. The Apostle Paul writing to the believers in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So this new life, this new people group called the church, us together and all believers together, this body of Christ we belong to means that while we're not the same, we're very different, each one unique, we are all in the same boat. And in this boat, we don't just belong to Christ, we also belong to each other, brought here to be blessed and to bless each other, to be comforted and to comfort each other, to stand up in the overcoming power of Jesus, not just one person that person, that person in isolation, separated from each other. We stand up in the overcoming power of Jesus by taking the hand of another who helps us up. And then we, in turn, offer our hands to those who've been knocked down. It's a gift. Each one of us has unique strengths and things to bring into the community. And it means we're not meant to function alone. And in fact... As the church, we just can't function at all the way we are made to as the body of Christ unless we embrace that we function together. It's the only way forward. There's another letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about how they're called to be one together as a harmonious whole because there were divisions and splits and all kinds of things happening. And he writes, they're supposed to be a whole in Corinthians chapter 12, verses 25 through 27, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. I don't see anything in here about how it's just cool to do it on your own or that the suffering of one in the community really doesn't have an impact on anybody else. There's nothing about that in there. God's design is that we be here for each other, not divided into factions or hierarchies, not separating from each other, blending together just like God formed the different parts of the human body to work together as a unified whole. Now the truth is, we can't get away from needing to cope. All of us at all times are coping with something, some form or another, big or small. And as we care for each other in the middle of that scenario, in the middle of our coping, there's not a special level of care, like a secret extra good special level of care reserved for just a few who've earned it or deserve it. That's not true. Everyone gets the same love, the same care. And when this passage talks about concern for each other, that's not what we think of sometimes when we think of concern, like the furrowed brow, the concerned look. Hmm. Or just the concerned 
phrase that we might pull out when somebody is going through something tough and we don't really know what to do and we just start by saying, I'm sorry. Or, oh, that, that just must be so hard. We don't really know what else to do, so then we're like, okay, see ya, I'll pray for you. And then we go to McDonald's and get a quarter pounder with cheese and forget it ever happened because we don't want to deal with other people's mess. We don't know what to do when people are facing something hard. We just kind of, okay, we acknowledge it's awkward and then we move on. That's not the kind of concern Paul is writing about in this letter. This is the kind of concern that keeps us up at night because we care so deeply for each other. We care so deeply and we know that there are those around us hurting and struggling to cope. And so we cannot rest because there are people struggling. We love each other that much. The suffering of one means the whole body suffers. It's meant to be impossible for one part of the body to be in pain and for the rest of the body to be at peace. Think about it, you know, in my scenario of chronic pain. Got like bulging discs and sciatic nerve pain. And when it's acting up and it's bad, I can't just say, well, at least my thumb is pain-free. Thumb, you have solved the problem. Well, now I can feel good because thumb feels good. Like, no, there's a part of my body suffering. And guess what? My thumb being pain-free doesn't really help all that much. And every part of me, my thoughts, my emotions, just the way I can go about my day suffers when there's one part of my body in pain like that. That's how it's supposed to be here for us. We as the body of Christ, each part, we're called to grow in our awareness of the fact that others around us, among us, are struggling to cope right now. We're called to be allies, interconnected, interdependent, working constantly, doing what we do here for the good of the whole body and paying special attention to those parts that are hurting, those parts that are suffering, those people who are struggling to cope. And when we're the benefactor, when we are in a okay place or a good enough place to be able to help others, we're okay with that. It's easier to conceive of that arrangement when we're on the giving side because, you know, that's noble. We can see the need we're meeting, and it means we must be in a decent enough place with coping to be able to afford to help other people. But this perspective has to change how we journey as those who must regularly And I say must, not lightly. We must regularly reach out to ask for help. Reach out to ask for and receive help from other people. That's scary. We got some not so good history sometimes with reaching out for help. But I want to tell you that the body is called to be here for you. And in this place... The church means there are countless other people who are called right now, right now, even people in this very room, to work for your good. Even if you don't know them and they don't know you yet, we're here for each other. They're here for you. I'm here for you. If you would only get to a point where you reach out, where you stop saying, I'm fine, and let some people in to where you're really at. So what's your plan? What do you do then? What can you begin to conceptualize and then act on in your life for how to move forward in coping 
by inviting others, coping together. Well, Jesus sets an example that I think we can overlook sometimes. Matthew 26, verses 37 through 38. Jesus took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And this is just before Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified. He was crushed with sorrow, troubled to the point of being completely overwhelmed. And this is all-powerful Jesus, mind you. This is Jesus at his most human, knowing he was going to pray to the Father and that he needed more as a human. He needed more. He couldn't do it on his own. He needed his friends. So Jesus, in humility, reached out in need to say, I am too overwhelmed to even go and pray by myself right now, you guys. I need you guys. Jesus says, I need you guys. I can't be alone. Will you just come and be with me and sit with me so as I pray, I'm not alone? The most simple request It should be easier to ask people to just sit with us and be with us so we're not alone. But I've not been very good at this in my life. I'm I'm what you call a standard upper Midwestern isolator. That's scientific, by the way. That's uh, that's just my default mode. Part of it's learned behavior. Part of it's just being a human being and, you know, sometimes not wanting people to journey with us because it's too difficult or embarrassing or shameful. I remember back... It was 2005, 13 years ago this October, when I was first really learning how I couldn't do life on my own. It was when addictions finally caught up with me. It's my struggle with pornography caught up with me. And, you know, I was just a dude working in some meaningless job, I felt like, uh, struggling with life, struggling with mental health, struggling with addictions. And I wanted to pretend that like the big blow up that revealed all my secrets and was super difficult, losing my job, that that conviction and the guilt and the heaviness I felt meant something had changed already. But I wanted to pretend I didn't need anybody else and that the process was really not that difficult because it was too hard, too messy to think about it in reality. But the reality was I was a dude struggling with porn and drugs and alcohol. And I needed help. So I remember the first purity group I attended. And I remember walking up the steps to that group and I could hear the murmur of voices. And I remember getting to the top and thinking like, what am I doing here? Like, this is what I don't do. This is my worst case scenario. And it was, I'm just going to be honest. It was awkward. How could it not be? It was vulnerable. People inviting us to like, talk about the reality of where we were stuck and what we were dealing with. And it was scary. I I sat through it, and then I remember the next week, I called the leader of the group and said, yeah, so thanks for the group. Um, I think I got my fix, and uh, I'm thankful that I think I don't need it anymore. I think I'm good. Really, I mean, this is what we do. I don't know if, if you women are like us men, but it's like, yeah, I went to that group one time. But, I, but we'll focus on I went and think, hey, I win. Yay for me. So I walked away. I was just so ashamed and so heavy with this stuff. And the most difficult thing for me was not 
dealing with my issues, it was the fact that dealing with my issues meant including other people in that process. So I walked away from it and said, I'm not coming back. It's not for me. And then the struggle got worse and the circumstances got worse. And a couple weeks later, I called the leader of the group again and I said, yeah, so um, one of the things I've just decided is that I have to be willing to do whatever it takes to get over this, to change. And for me, the most difficult part of whatever it takes is just coming to the group. So I need to be willing to come to the group, and I'm sorry that I left, and I'm coming back. Will you still have me? And they said yes, and from that point forward, everything changed. Because it's just the only way it could work. There weren't a lot of answers back in those days, but there was a ton of strength in just being together with other people who knew where I was at, who had been there, who were there just like me, people who weren't scary, and some were (laughs) a little strange. But you know what? That's any church group. So (laughs) I don't know what I thought was supposed to happen, but guess what? Not all of us heal at the same time. Not all of us get the truth that changes us at the same time. It's the process of being together, coming together, being willing to keep coming back. That is when the change happens. We just have to continue to be in the right place and the right posture. Even coming here to Jacob's Well in 2015 for me, a few years ago, was on the heels of a time of very much struggling to cope. Well, it was in the middle of a time of struggling to cope with painful Trauma. But I knew that I needed community. I needed to be attached to the people of Jesus. And over these last three and a half years, in community is where I've experienced restoration and healing and redemption. What about you? What's your plan? When you're coping with life, as you face those circumstances that take you down, maybe the sucker punch you're dealing with right now Something that just happened, maybe even just this morning or yesterday or during this past week could involve relationships or maybe just the the trauma of readjusting back to school and the relationships there and all the stuff you've got to do. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's finances. Maybe some expense came up out of the blue at the worst possible time. Your family's a mess. There's too much Hurt and too much water under the bridge to try now. Things couldn't possibly change now, right? Or addiction for you. Or mental health that you're just not quite sure anybody else could ever understand. In the middle of all that, will isolating, even if you're praying a ton, will isolating help you feel less alone? I mean, it's kind of a dumb question, but the truth is it won't. Will isolating help you feel less overwhelmed? I don't think so. You know, maybe it's as simple as you might just need to reach out to one person, one trusted person, and let them know what you're facing for real and how you feel about it for real. And then ask them to just be with you. Follow Jesus' example. I've I've told people I'm walking with over many years now, I've just told them, look, text me. If you're going through something tough, in the moment, just text, just reach out. If I can get back to you, I will. If I can't, at least the fact that you 
put words down on your little screen and sent it to somebody means that somebody at some point is going to know, and maybe right away, and you're not alone in what you're facing. Something simple like that. Just start getting used to reaching out. In Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, tell us this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, for all the reasons we have to be overwhelmed in life as we struggle to cope, we also have every reason to hope. We cope together, we hope together. That's just how it works. And as we're here, as we're together As God's faithfulness provides what we need in the middle of our coping, as we cope, that's when we're called to remind each other, encourage each other, love each other in real ways toward God's faithfulness within the community of church. And then to just keep it going, to not shut that off, to not think we ever move beyond the point where we need each other, but just to keep it going and keep expanding it. And the result is that people will be encouraged. They'll be lifted up from where they've fallen, lifted up by others who care, who've been there, and people can finally begin to step, even small steps, out of hopelessness and into hope. But to experience that, we got to be together. Now, some of the folks this letter was written to had stopped coming to church. They no longer felt it was necessary to regularly meet, be together with Christian brothers and sisters. And this is presented as a serious weakness. Because what would happen when life throws a sucker punch? Because it's going to. Who's going to be there to help? What about those within the community who are still gathering who may need the help of those choosing to not be there at some point? Now, the New Testament Nowhere gives any support to the idea of lone wolf Christians. But close, connected, consistent gathering with other believers is just really the only way forward. It's not just a nice idea. It is an absolute necessity in a life where sucker punches come so fast and furious and where it's just going to keep getting worse. Worse and worse over time. Coping is going to keep becoming an even more difficult struggle as the world and everything in it moves closer and closer to the return of Jesus. So against that backdrop, here's what I would offer for a healthy pattern. It actually comes from a church that functioned as a healthy pattern for all the rest. It's 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7. Paul is writing to the believers in Thessalonica saying, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model, a pattern to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And this is the only church referred to as a model or a pattern that other churches should follow for the rest of the believers in the Greek-speaking world of that time. And the pattern is simple. It's what we've just been talking about. It's people coming together, people embracing that They become so much more together than any of them could be on their own. And when they come together and gather together, they love each other and they hold fast in the middle of severe suffering to hope 
and joy. They continue to cling together as allies, as a team, to the message of the gospel of Jesus, loving and caring for each other, and then receiving love and care from each other in a way that kept their hope up, even in the middle of coping. It kept their resolve strong and showed them. It showed the rest that suffering is not the end of the story. In the middle of suffering, coping with severe circumstances and persecution, this church community banded together as one. That's the pattern. Life is life. It's hard. And it's about us, the people of God, in the name of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, coming together in community. It's the only way, the best way to cope. Alone, coping is more like just survival mode. And I've lived that before. And that's not fun. That's me, like depressed and eating red vines for eight straight months, you know? Like, that doesn't work. Alone, coping is survival mode, and that's a pretty hopeless thing. And it may be what we're used to, and it may be what's familiar to us, but it's not what we're made for, and it doesn't lead to hope. The way of God is about coping in community. Coping in community. Here's a couple just Simple verses, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. So it's those times of trouble, of suffering, of adversity, of being overwhelmed, of getting sucker punched in life. That's when you see what friendship, what community is all about. That's when you see who your brothers and sisters are and what God's love can do. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And While normally we can think of carrying burdens as a negative, because there's a lot of scripture about how we're not to carry burdens and we're meant, meant to be free from our burdens, but this time, the carrying of burdens has a positive sense because it's about coping in community. The truth is, our burdens are way too heavy to carry alone. Our calling as the church is to carry our burdens together on life's journey. This type of coping in community, helping each other, loving each other fully, that is the heart of God. And that's how we fulfill the law of Jesus and show that we're his. So here are a couple just really simple ideas to help guide the way you see and think about others when it comes to coping in community. First one, on your best day, remember that many currently feel the way you felt on your worst day. When you go about your life, when you're having a good day, isn't it pretty easy to kind of think, well, everybody should be having a good day. I feel good. My life's working out pretty good. How come that person's not super jazzed about it? Remember, you may be having the best day ever, but so many people around you right now are feeling the way you felt on your worst day. Do you remember what that felt like? How alone you felt? When life's going well, it can be easy to forget what it felt like when it was hard. I feel that. It's even easier to dismiss the suffering or the struggle of other people. So if you're feeling pretty good, even today, you're feeling like you're pretty much on top of things, don't forget how close you are to your own struggle to cope and the need for help, and then how close you might be right now, even in physical proximity to those who are in need of that same kind of help. Second thing, on your worst day, remember that many who have been there before would love on you 
and help you take next steps. On your worst day, you may want to do what I do, isolate. If I'm having a bad day, I don't want to be like, hey, everybody, come enjoy my bad day with me. I want to isolate. I want to lick my wounds, turn my back on the whole world. But if you do that, then you know, like I do, it's a trap. Don't get stuck there. You're not alone. You're not the only one to ever feel this way, this bad. Struggling to cope doesn't mean you're less than or worse than anyone else. It just means you're human. You need help, just like everyone else. Well, help is found in community. And I know many people, myself included, can find it very difficult to trust, reach out for help. So let me just say, this is a two-way street. The church, who we are together, doesn't automatically get great at helping each other just because we're here. We're still human. We have work to do so that we can love each other in the best ways, in ways that validate, in ways that are safe, in ways that welcome We're called to create an environment of belonging. It's one of our five commitments to belong, of loving people right where they are, right now where they're at, coping and all. And then within that environment we create, those of us struggling to cope are invited to ask for help. And those of us who have been there, maybe we're coping right now, maybe we're not, but we have perspective that could help and we're called to help with understanding and compassion. And we get better at both sides of it the more we practice. If you're struggling to cope with something right now, and you think, you know, I've tried the church thing before, I've tried reaching out, I believe it just isn't for me, try again. I can promise you that it will be imperfect and messy and, yes, sometimes awkward. But here at Jacob's Well, there are people, I'm one, who have struggled to cope, who have been through the thick of it, just like you, who have felt the most human of pain and grief and anger and sorrow and desperation and cynicism, you name it. And from that common place of every one of us needing each other, some, some here would be ready right now today to help you. Hoist your burden up onto their shoulders too. Reach and help you stand and walk forward into your coping and into the love and comfort of our faithful God where hope and healing are found. Isn't God good? He leaves no one alone. No one. So for next steps, here's what I will offer. Keep it simple. First one is reach out for help. If you need to reach out for help, reach out for help. Stop out at our connection center. Walk down to our prayer room in the fireside room and just say to somebody, I need help. I need somebody to know what I'm struggling with. The second thing is be ready to help. You know, sometimes we don't want other people's mess to come and mess with us, right? We don't want somebody else's struggle to come and ruin our rosy time. So this takes a great deal of humility, not distancing ourselves from those in need because we've been in need. This is about being ready to help with empathy, with encouragement, by offering hope, by being real, by trying to find some real tangible ways that you can show people they're not alone. Um, As a side note, I want to mention to you that there are some people in the southern part of our state really struggling to cope right now with flooding, 
with the storms. And there are some tangible ways we want to help them. We are part of the Minnesota-Wisconsin Baptist Convention. We've got a disaster relief team. uh, And they're going to be heading to Reedsburg, the southern Wisconsin area, to help folks with the flooding. So if you're interested in being part of that, stop at our Connection Center on your way out today and get the contact information for H. Quinn. He's going to be uh, putting that team together, and you can get all the the details out there. Um, And then finally, we have a community that is built to cope well together. We've got a care page on our website, and if you're not sure you want to talk to a person, go fill out a form, a care form, and let somebody know where you're at. One of our care team, once you submit that, will get in touch with you, and that bond, that connection will be established, and we can begin to walk with you. We've got a group sign-up rally coming up at the last few weeks of this month, so you'll hear more about that, but this is the time to start thinking about how you need people And you want to be in a church group. You hear me? You want to. You know you do, everybody. You want to be in in community, journeying with people, studying God's word together. But it's not always just the truth we walk into together. It's the fact that we're just together that brings so much strength and hope. So be ready to join a group. Join a care group. Join one of our recovery ministries. Take one of our classes. Keep checking our website, listening for announcements, and start walking out of that isolation, that struggle to cope today. This is a community ready-made for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you do not leave us alone. You don't leave us to fend for ourselves. You are good. In the middle of our coping, when the world, when our enemy, when the lies in our heads are telling us we are so much worse off and so much less than we should be, you call us something else. You say we belong to you. You say we are your children. You say we are forgiven. We are chosen. We're not forsaken. We belong to you together. So teach us to celebrate that. Teach us that to celebrate truly means we leave no one out. And when even one is suffering, we all care. We all want to help. Change our hearts. Remind us of who we are together. And show us the way forward into our coping and into your love, God. In Jesus' name, amen.